we're going to talk about being aware and being prepared for seduction and deception. The Bible says that a good minister of God warns and prepares the people. We need to be warned and we need to be prepared concerning seduction and deception. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. The Bible actually talks a bunch about seduction and deception. How many of you believe there's some of it out there? There is. There is seduction and deception out there, and it's rampant, and it's rampant. It's in the church. There's seduction and deception in the church. We were talking before the service. Somebody brought it up, asked me a question about Halloween. Christians that celebrate Halloween have been deceived. They've been seduced, and they're in deception. And I was one of them once. I didn't see it. I didn't know. Nobody ever taught us. I didn't have any understanding. I was saved when I was 10 years old. But I didn't see anything until I got baptized in the Holy Ghost. It was like I was blinded to everything until I got baptized. When I got baptized in the Holy Ghost, I didn't need a teacher to tell me. The Holy Ghost showed me things. I was in Eastern Star. I had been the worthy matron. And I've told you this story before. I'm not going to go into that. But I didn't see. I was like, what's wrong with this? I, don't, I mean, I didn't see it. And boy, the day I got baptized in the Holy Ghost, my eyes was just like, wow. Oh, that's not hard to figure out. I mean, I saw it. I was like, I want out of this. And that was no easy trick in a little bitty town of 2,500 people. I stirred up a nest, I can tell you, trying to get out. Sometimes hard to get out of stuff, isn't it? It was like trying to get out of a cult or something. And I like, mm, that might tell us something. Now, the people in those things, don't get me wrong, are not evil people. The best little old ladies in Seagraves, Texas, were in this organization. My grandparents, my aunts, my uncles, these are good people who love God. So I'm not talking about the people, but I'm talking about the concept and the organization is demonic. Just like good people go put on a witch's costume and go trick-or-treating, you know. Hallelujah. There's deception in that. Some people before the service were asking me about that and, and asking me questions. Well, how did you handle it when you had kids? You should pray and find out how to handle Halloween for your children. But I will tell you this, what I handled, Colin was in public school the fourth grade. The way I handled it, he, on that day, he got a holiday. He didn't go to school on the day they were having the Halloween party. Now, I didn't have the problem with Eric because Eric was in Christian school until he was in sixth grade. We did not have that situation. We did on that day when there would be kids all over the street. We lived in a small town. You know, oh, there's our neighbors and stuff. We would do something. We'd try to go to the Pizza Hut. or And, and I will tell you this. If you're going to do something on that day, don't make it like we celebrate Halloween in a different way. If you're going to do something on that day, do it as a distraction. Just do it as a distraction. And explain to your kids. Kids can catch on to this thing. They're alive unto God. And if they're saved, baptized in the Holy Ghost, they can understand that this is the devil. Do you all see this? You can explain to them there's fear in it. You know it's the devil because it's fear. It's evil. It's wicked. It's death. I know there's somebody in our neighborhood that puts up all the tombstones in their yard and all this kind of stuff. I mean, why would you celebrate death? And those same people are the ones that if there's a funeral in their family, they're down there wailing the loudest, but they just had tombstones in their yard. I mean, you talk about deception. And so that's one kind of deception. And since they brought it up, I thought I'd talk about it. And one of the questions they asked me is, so you don't have a problem with going to a fall festival or something? And I said, not at all. And I wouldn't get bent out of shape if my kid ate a jack-o'-lantern cookie. 
But I would continue to explain to them that that's not a godly thing and that's not what we celebrate. And so what I tried to do was decorate. When my kids were little, we didn't decorate up for Halloween, but I would hang turkeys all over my door and stuff like that, kind of build up the fall and Thanksgiving thing. We tried to make substitutions in their lives. And see, Christians get bent out of shape over Christmas. And then they try to make it something evil. So I can't find anything evil about good and blessing people and love and giving. Now I know it's commercialized. The devil's not the author of giving. And I don't think you can give too much. I think the people that holler commercialization the most are probably the stingiest. Let's commercialize it and let's go buy gifts and give to everybody we know. Amen? And make the real tailors just happy, happy, happy. And, you know, now we had some people that we were acquaintances with that were spirit-filled. Man, they got all bent out of shape over Valentine's. They removed their kid from a Christian school because that Christian school had a Valentine party. Now, it's hard for me to see how love is bad. God is love. See, you've got to look at fruit. And that's what we're going to talk a lot about tonight. So that's why I'm talking about this is let's look at fruit, okay? Now, people will holler, yeah, but it takes the parts of Christmas, Santa trees, takes our minds off the real meaning of Christmas. Well, you can either let it take your mind off the real meaning of Christmas or you can let it put your mind on the real. Some people say, well, you know they worship trees. Well, yeah, I think they did. I think that's why Druid City is all about worshiping trees, you know? <laughs> Hallelujah. But... um I don't bow down and worship my Christmas tree. Or you can look at it like, well, this is evergreen, symbolic of eternal life. You can make it symbolize what you want it to symbolize. You know, you can take the candy cane and make it the blood of Jesus. They do that, you know, and white for when we've been washed from sin. I look at Christmas as a big opportunity. I look at Christmas as a time when the world celebrates with us. Amen. So you can say, well, Santa's really bad. Well, it gets the world in there. And, you know, if we just said it's all religious, do you think they'd celebrate with us? No. I think it's a, just a big opportunity. Besides all that, if you trace the roots of St. Nicholas, and I'm not advocating that we make a big deal about him, but I am not advocating that we act weird over him. Because St. Nicholas, if you trace his roots, was a godly man. A Saint Valentine, if you trace the roots, we got a godly man. Saint Patrick, if you trace the roots of Saint Patrick's, there's a godly man behind that. Amen? Hallelujah. Now, I don't know anything about the roots of the Easter Bunny. <laughs> Amen. I mean, the Easter Bunny is just in spring. Spring. Bunnies, eggs. I mean, no, you can go back to fertility goddesses and stuff like that. But you have to work at stuff like that. You know? It's spring. We're celebrating spring. So y'all tell me if I'm wrong. Amen. I'm correctable. I'm teachable. Matthew 24, verse 4. Glory to God. But I have meditated and thought about this a lot because when we got filled with the Spirit, I had a four-year-old child when we got baptized in the Holy Ghost. And so, you know, immediately I became very alert to anything that was not good. And I mean, there's toys that he had that I threw away. He lost some valuable merchandise <laughs> at different times, you know. I threw the Star Wars stuff away. Now, you can do with it what you want to, but I have it on good report that it's modeled after demonic stuff. But it's up to you. It's up to you. I don't care. You be led by the Spirit. Matthew 24, 4 says, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. There could be a possibility that a man could deceive us, right? For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. We need to take heed, first of all. I wanted you to notice there that I think that in the way that that's been taught in the past, 
and this would be true also, but that people are going to come saying they're Jesus. So we know that that's one way you could take that verse and it would apply. But also, I want to tell you that you could take that another way because Christ means anointed. And so it says, many shall come in my name saying, I am anointed. And they shall deceive many. Everybody says they're anointed, it's not anointed. Amen? And so we need to be alert to that. We don't want to be deceived. And it's possible here, he said, take heed. He told us to take heed that ye not be deceived. I want you to notice here it says, many shall come in my name. See, the devil doesn't come with a pitchfork and a long tail and horns, does he? Except on Halloween. He makes it so obvious on Halloween, how could we miss it? But on other days of the year, he says, they come in my name. And so they come in Jesus' name, and we need to be aware of that. Look in verse 11. It says, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. So there's false prophets, aren't they? One interpretation of that in the Strong's Concordance is religious imposter. So there's imposters, aren't there? And we have to be aware. And it's real easy not to be deceived. And I'm going to tell you how, okay? Romans chapter 16. It's real easy, but you've got to know how or you will be deceived. Because I can tell you, the church has been seduced and deceived in many areas. You were at one time, probably to some degree or another. If you ever believed that tongues was of the devil, you had been seduced and deceived, right? Now, I know not all of you were raised that, but if you were raised in the church I was raised in, you might have heard that tongues were of the devil. If you ever thought healing passed away, you were seduced and deceived. You can tell and I can tell that there's many good Christians walking around today seduced and deceived in that area. And there's other areas. If you ever thought that you'd go to hell if you cut your hair, you were seduced and deceived. Not you men, but you women. The men go to hell if they don't. No, I'm just... <laughs> hallelujah, no, I don't. Those are things, though, that are doctrines and things like that that are just a form of being seduced and deceived. If you believed that if you were sitting in a movie theater and Jesus came back, you would go to hell, you were seduced and deceived. Because a movie theater is not going to keep you from going to heaven if you're saved. Romans 16, verse 17 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. So we could look here and notice that when we see divisions being caused, and we see offenses being caused over doctrine, a big red flag ought to go up. Amen? And it says to mark the people that are causing that and avoid them. Doesn't say hang around them more, find out what they're thinking about, go talk to them. What does it say to do? Avoid them. If somebody's in offense and if somebody's causing division, you don't want to be around them. You don't need to be around them. God told you not to go around them. You're to avoid them. Well, I just don't want them to feel like I don't love them. Well, you ought to avoid them so maybe they'd feel like they weren't loved. Maybe they'd repent. I don't think the church handles things like this right. I don't think we should condone sin in the church. I don't think we should condone strife. I don't think we should condone those that cause division and bring offense. Verse 18, For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ. They're not serving our Lord Jesus Christ. So who must they be serving? The devil. Listen, you're either running with Jesus or you're running with the devil, but you're not running with both. And you know what? I've seen Christians. I've seen saved people. I've seen born-again people serve the devil. 
I mean, because they cause division, they cause strife, and they cause defense. They're serving the devil. And we should not side up with that. We should avoid it. It says, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. That means the naive. You know, the church is too naive. We should not be naive. Well, you know, we're supposed to walk in love and love them anyway. Yeah, from about 300 yards. That's how close we're supposed to love. We're not supposed to condone sin. We're not supposed to play with them. We're not supposed to patronize them. We're supposed to avoid them. And God has given us this little thing down in us called the Holy Ghost to give us a check. And we need to start trusting. He's given us a check in here. And when we feel the check, we ought not to go by the outside. Because I've seen many of a person who was being used by the devil that came to church every Sunday. And the church is so naive. It says they're so simple. Because most of the church believes anybody that comes to church every Sunday, oh, they're just so awesome. They're so faithful. You need to go down here. And I've seen people that weren't that faithful. But you know my heart had a witness that they were good people. That even though they hadn't got it all together yet, maybe they didn't have all the revelation I had, that they're good people. If we're going to judge, we don't judge by outward appearances, the Bible says, but we have to look on the heart. We have to look on our heart, not theirs. You can't look on theirs, but you can look on yours. You can look on your heart and say, what's my heart saying here? And when we have a check, it don't matter if they're the biggest giver in the church. People come and give big to churches for wrong reasons. A lot of people want the pulpit. They come and they go. First time they hear me say, I've said this before, and you know, we'll have a little exodus after it's over when I say this from time to time. You know, Pastor Willie George says you ought to have a church split every week. They come, then they split. I'm not being ugly. We want to grow a church. We're not trying to run people off. But people with wrong motives that want the pulpit, we don't need. I usually tell them, you know, pastor's first, I'm next. And and then it's like, okay, I'm not going to get to preach, so I'm gone. And sometimes they give big, so we can't go on those things. we got to go by our heart. What's our heart telling us? Ephesians 4.11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, that means a mature man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That means until we all understand the new birth and what it bought us and we're walking in all of it. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, everything that comes down the pipeline, everything that comes over the internet. You know, we shouldn't be tossed by those things. Uh, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. Sometimes people deceive for two reasons. Sometimes they do it on purpose because they're greedy and they want gain or they want power or they want people to look to them. Sometimes they do it because they've been deceived. And they really don't see. And they think they're helping God. Well, he tells us some things here. Slide of men there means fraud. The slide of men or the fraud of men. In this verse, there implies purposefulness. That they did it on purpose. Cunning craftiness means trickery. Or it means subtility. In other words, they're subtle. Sometimes this is subtle. This is not always like with a pitchfork. Sophisticated. It can be very sophisticated. It can look really good. But, you know, he gives us the big key here that our best protection against this kind of deception is the fivefold ministry. He said, I've given you the fivefold ministry that you wouldn't be tossed by these winds of doctrine, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Let me talk about 
some of these ministry offices. You don't have to say what you are. If you're a prophet, they'll know it. I heard a man on TV yesterday, and he said, Oh, come to our church. Just started a new church. He's over in Georgia somewhere. And he said, My son's the pastor, and I'm the apostle. And I'm like, Oh, what'd you say then? Don't say that. Because, first of all, I doubt you are. Probably, if your son's doing the dirty work <laughs> of pastoring, you know, it does take an apostolic anointing to start a church. But every pastor and pastors that start churches have apostolic anointings, but they aren't necessarily apostle. Apostle means sent one. And when somebody tells me they're apostle, I want to say, okay, how many churches have you started? Not just one. And how many Bible colleges do you have going? You have been sent somewhere. I tell you what, the apostle is sent where there has to be a big breakthrough. In other words, you know, I think that uh, Jim Andrews, he is a missionary to Peru. There's no doubt in my mind that he has carried the anointing of apostle. He's gone to Peru, changed the nation. Nations are changed by apostles' family. And it is not good doctrine when people are calling themselves prophets, calling themselves apostles, just giving themselves titles. If you're a girl, you don't have to say I'm a girl in the church. We don't have to promote ourselves. I try to take the lower road myself. People will ask me, well, what do you do? And I say, well, I work at Word of Life Church. And if they press me, well, what do you do at the church? I'm the office administrator. That's really not true. Pastor is probably more of the office administrator than I am. If they press me, I say, well, you know, my husband and I are ministers. Sometimes they press me, do you minister too? I'll say, well, yeah. But I get nervous when somebody starts I'm a minister. I'm a prophet. Just shut up. And we'll know it if it's true. Let God recognize you. And I think it's in bad taste. I think it's in bad taste myself. Now, I'm not saying I throw everybody out that says that. I don't. But I will say I put myself on alert. And I start listening more carefully. This was, that was my opinion. That wasn't word. My opinion came from how I was taught from Brother Hagin. He doesn't ever call himself a prophet. A lot of other people call him a prophet, but he don't call himself one. And that's how he taught us. So if you don't like that, just forgive me. Amen? Forgive me, because I forgive you for liking it the other way. <laughs> Ephesians 5, 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Let no man deceive you with vain words. Deceive there means cheat you, and vain words means empty words. Some people, somebody said they as a prophet, they'd believe anything they said. That's not how we should do, is it? No, we shouldn't just believe something just because somebody said they were a prophet. Somebody said they were a minister. And you know, you can't make people faithful by giving them a title. You can't make somebody a prophet by calling them a prophet. You can't even make them a prophet by sending them to a prophet school. And they have prophet schools. God calls. God puts gifts in men. And if he puts the gift in you, you don't have to go to school to figure out how to use it. You don't have to go to school to learn how to be a pastor. 1 Timothy 4.1 God puts gifts in men. There's no doubt about that. And I believe in all five gifts. 1 Timothy 4.1 And I think we need more of the prophet's gift and more of the apostle's gift. I don't think that we have enough of that. I believe we need more of the evangelist's gift. We probably have a lot of the pastor-teacher gift, our pastor and teacher. We need more of the others. 
We don't need to overlook those and disdain those, but we can't just hand out titles like you hand out bubble gum. It's not wise. And the same with elders and deacons. Let me just talk about it. Do you believe in elders and deacons, Debbie? I sure do. The Bible talks about them. But I've noticed in churches that when your deacon's a deacon, you don't have to give them a title. It means servant. You can just tell the one that's always serving. And you go, my Lord, that's a deacon if I ever saw one. The greatest deacon that we had in our church in Seminole was a lady. Judy Jones. The boys will tell you. That woman, it wouldn't matter. If we said we need somebody in youth, she'd go. If we need somebody in children, she'd go. She did it all at one time or another. You know what else? When the pastor left, once a deacon, always a deacon. Guess what? I think they've had about three since us. <laughs> Next three, right in there. Right in there. Just right in there serving. She was the greatest deacon in our church. You don't have to give somebody a title. You can give them a title, and if they ain't, they still won't be. And if they are, we started out in our church because we thought, well, we need some deacons. You know, most have some deacons. So, okay, everybody vote. Let's get some deacons. So we had the church vote, and they voted on some deacons. Well, then in about a year or two or three of them weren't there. But Judy Jones now, and she was a deacon. She was one that got voted on. You could see. So we decided this deacon stuff is wrong. And so we told them, okay, we're taking those titles away. Y'all are no longer deacons. But you know what? She did the same thing on the day she was that the next day when she wasn't. I mean, you can't take it out of people when they are. It means servant. An elder, now that means elder, you're going to have to mature to be an elder. I mean, wonder what about this word we don't understand. That you cannot make a 17-year-old kid an elder. If he studied the Bible from the day he was born till he was 17, how many of you think that somebody 17's got some stuff to learn about life? How many of you think there's some things they just wouldn't know? All of these things has to do with deception, has to do with seduction, and has to do with the church being so naive. Now, you know, on the other hand, let me say this, because let me give the balance. We are not to be suspicious people. We're not to be suspicious about everybody that comes in this church. I like to assume people are innocent until proven guilty. <laughs> you know what I mean? I like to assume the best. I like to assume God sent them here. They're supposed to be here. Amen. And treat them like that and give them an opportunity. And even if their former pastor called me up and said, man, you have got one coming that is, you know, and you don't think preachers do that. Well, you just think again. They call and report on you and how you split their church, you know, call and report to each other, all these things. And it's good, but I'm going to give people that walk through that door the benefit of the doubt. They change. They're looking for a fresh start. I'm not going to be like one pastor I know, and he said this. He said, once a flake, always a flake. <laughs> no, I mean, really, I think he's right, but I think we have to avoid that thing. We have to fight against that. But listen, people, if they're going to change, they got to make an effort to change. First uh, Timothy 4.1, maybe that's a little hard. We don't want to be hard-hearted. We want to be tender-hearted. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Listen, you cannot depart from something that you've never been in. You have to have been there to depart, don't you? I don't think this is really talking about salvation here. That in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. You know, there are spirits out there that are just seducing. They're sent to seduce giving heed to seducing spirits, doctrine of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And then it goes on to say some of the things in, in that day 
that they said, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Well, hallelujah. There's doctrines of demons like that. I know people that say, man, it's sin to eat pork. They don't live in Alabama, but it's an Old Testament doctrine. We'll talk about that more in a minute. To depart there means to revolt, usually reflexively to desist, desert, to draw or fall away, to withdraw oneself, to desert, to be a deserter. Many shall be a deserter from the faith. The faith there is not necessarily meaning that they depart from Jesus. It means they depart from the truth. Or in this sense, faith is our system of believing, and it means that they depart from our system of believing. In other words, they used to be believing God. They used to be in there serving Him, believing Him in faith, but they departed from the faith. Why? Because of seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Amen. Giving heed. Giving heed means to hold the mind. And doctrines of devils there means instruction or teaching of devils. So devils are teachers. Devils can be teachers. They can have a teaching ministry. Some devils have a teaching ministry. And they teach people strange and weird doctrines. 2 Timothy 3, 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. One truth that you get there from verse 13, that somebody that sets out to deceive somebody else always becomes deceived. Now, it's important that we understand that so that we don't ever be a deceiver. We don't ever tell little white lies. Because what is a lie? It's deception. And if I deceive you by telling a white lie, I'm subject to becoming deceived. All of a sudden, I've opened the door for the devil to deceive me. So I'm not supposed to be deceptive to my husband. Deception's not always a lie. Deception's hiding stuff that you bought in the car trunk, sneaking it in, or wearing a new dress and him saying, Oh, that's pretty. Is it new? Oh, this old thing? Because you don't want him to know that you bought something new. See, all of those things are just lying. And family, we shouldn't have to be told that lying's wrong. So we have to just not lie. Because the deception will cause us to be open to being deceived. Verse 13 there. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So it's going to get worse and worse. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The word of God furnishes you, makes you perfect. Well, let's talk about that scripture a little bit. In verse 14, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. There's a real key phrase there, and it's knowing whom thou hast learned them. Knowing whom thou hast learned them. You need to know the people you learn from. TV automatically say to a preacher you've never seen or heard of, I know this is going to be okay. No, because you don't know them. You're to know something about the people that you learn from. Now, we have the Holy Ghost within us. And you know the Holy Scriptures here. And if you've got the Word of God in you, and you've studied the Word of God, you have a good working knowledge of the Word of God, and even if you don't, if you're baptized in the Holy Ghost, and you're aware of the Holy Presence inside of you, you, you know, the Holy Spirit will check a baby. You know what I'm saying? He'll give the baby a little check. 
Don't listen to that. Don't listen to that. That's not a good place to feed. But sometimes babies, the one thing they're not is sensitive to that little voice. Amen. So sometimes they buy everything that comes off of the TV, hook, line, and sinker. We need to have a working knowledge of the Word of God, the Holy Scriptures, which you've been trained up with. And when somebody says something against the Holy Scriptures, well, I can know that doesn't line up with the Word of God. And they may have all manner of things they're proving it with. They may have had all manner of experiences. They may even say, God told me. People say, God told me all the time the things God didn't tell them. But we can't throw all, all the God told me's because a lot of them are God. But we have the Holy Scriptures inside of us to show us and to guide us and to warn us. But if all of those things fail, then we just need to know the people. We need to know something about their lives. You know, me and Pastor, we don't have somebody into this church to speak that we don't know. We have to either have one of our people that we know, like a friend that we trust them, say, I've had them in my church. They are good. Or we have to have heard them ourselves somewhere. But even then, we don't have to worry. You know, Pastor said something one time, really helped us. Of course, he didn't know us all that well, but he knew people that knew us. We moved to his town, and he didn't really know us. But we knew Patrick Norris, and he knew Patrick Norris. And see, so we had a mutual friend, and we were all bearing witness of each other. And he asked Pastor to preach in his church. And so Pastor said, well, now, Pastor, is there anything you don't want me to do? He said, oh, don't worry about it. You can't do anything I can't clean up when I get back. See, you don't have to worry. You know, if something's wrong with something, Pastor will clean it up the next service. If it's too bad, he might clean it up with them there. But I've really never had anybody do any, because we're careful. We need to know people. Let's talk about some things people have been seduced by. I know something that lots of Christian women have been seduced by. They've been seduced into marrying an unbeliever. Now that's seduction. There's not ever a reason to marry an unbeliever. I already talked about my other four, so I've got to move right on. Let's talk about how we could get deceived. One way that people get deceived is not rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, this is what happens where we get false doctrines going. We talked about one today. Me and Rita talked about. She talked to a woman who had lost a loved one, a little child. And this woman said, God took this little child because this little child was an exceptional child advanced in every area. I thought, my Lord, we need smart people in Alabama. <laughs> you know, why would God take a smart one? No, no, anyway. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. And so Rita talked to this woman and said, John 10.10. 10. Told her the thief cometh to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came that, I'm, that we might have life and have more money. She said, I don't believe that. Because Job says. I'm like, we believe Job over Jesus? Woo! Amen. We are not laughing. This is sad. And we have compassion that this woman lost somebody. I mean, this is so sad. It really is. But we have to make this point. That Christians have been deceived in their doctrine to believe that God takes people because they don't rightly divide the word of truth. And the key word is divide. See, we have to divide. God even made it easy for us. New Testament, Old Testament. Everybody say division. division. There is a division there. I mean, he tried to make it where we'd understand this is not the same. 
But they go over into the Old Testament and they see where God slew the Amalekites and God slew the Hivites and the Hivites and the Canaanites and the, the Ites. The ites always get, don't ever be an ite, because the ites get lewd or slowed or slung, slung or, anyway. But if we don't divide here, let me show you. I'm going to give an object lesson in church tonight. I need nine people. I need three right here, and three right here, and three right here. If you'll be a people, get in your spot. Now, in the Old Testament, we're going to say this man, he's the oldest, he's Judah, Okay? Y'all know about the tribe of Judah, don't you? Messiah's going to come through the tribe of Judah. Guaranteed. Y'all are ites. Y'all are ites. And y'all are ites. Amen? Now the ites, motivated by the devil, are always trying to get rid of the Israelites. They're ites too, aren't they? Can't say all ites, can I? Let me tell you. We're in a dispensation of grace. They weren't. God has a purpose. He has no choice but to get a Messiah through this family. If He doesn't get Messiah here, the entire human race is forever caught in Satan's trap. And so, it's basically like this, real simple. You mess with my Messiah line, I will do whatever is necessary to get rid of you. Now, does God not love them? No, He loves them. Does He want to kill them? No, He don't want to kill them. But He does not want to leave man forever lost. If these people get to this man and his lineage, then we're going to have a whole bunch of folks that are forever lost. This is not going to work. So it's a whatever-it-takes mentality. So he slew them. He slew them. You're slow. He slew them. You're slow. Amen. Because Judah here, he's got to stand. Y'all can be seated. This is so simple. But we got Messiah here right at the first of the New Testament. God can now do what He wanted to do all along. He can institute the grace policy. However, however, now he's got a righteous man. You're good at bad guy. Hallelujah. Mr. Carlton, stand up and be a bad guy. Amen. Okay. I'm the righteous one. I'm saved. I'm believing the Word. And he's a sniper. Does God love him? Oh, absolutely. Does God want to kill him? No. Let me ask you this. Is God going to kill him? No, but when you become a sniper, you brought yourself under Romans chapter 13. And the Bible says that those authorities are instituted by God and they don't bear the sword in vain. That means God's going to anoint them to get you. Consider yourself God. Amen. See, I'm His man and woman. I'm covered in the blood. I got the blood on the inside. I got the blood on the outside. And you know, if you violate me, he'll do whatever it takes to protect me if I am in faith. Now, if I go, oh God, they're going to kill me, they're going to kill me. Yeah, they probably are. I'm believing for it, do you see? 
So God in the New Testament, He divided. He changed dispensations. So back to our why people get seduced. Why they believe wrong doctrines. They believe wrong doctrines because they're going back in the Old Testament. They hadn't been thoroughly taught that we're in a dispensation of grace. God's not killing people. And He wasn't killing innocent children in the Old Testament. Just don't mess with His man Judah. Because He's going to get this righteous man, this Jesus here. God spoke to me many years ago when I was a young Christian, and He said, I'm no respecter of persons, but I am a respecter of righteous seed. And so in the Old Testament, that righteous seed, He's respecting it. He's clearing them out of the way. Now, if they just go off and live in the desert somewhere and make pots and fish and live quiet lives, even though they're lost, He's not messing with them. Just don't mess with Israel. But now we're in a dispensation of grace. Two things. Don't mess with my righteous man now. Don't mess with my new creation man. Don't mess with my man who's blood-bought and in faith. Don't mess with him. And... Don't try to move things ahead of the timing that I have laid out. These countries that are trying to make war and try to make things ahead of time, God's anointing other countries to oppose them. Real simple, isn't it? So people get messed up in their doctrine because they get over there. And, and that woman said, Job said, God takes away people, God kills people. I, if God did, and He doesn't, but if God did want to take a child because he was exceptional to heaven, and he doesn't. But if he did, he can just reach down in and get his spirit. He don't have to break his neck. God can just reach down in there and get your spirit, and you'll be with him. He's going to get reach down and get us in the rapture. And, amen. The next thing, how people get deceived, by not being a doer of the Word of God, James 1.22. That last scripture was 2 Timothy 2.15, rightly divide. Not being a doer of the Word of God. The Bible says when we hear the Word taught, then we don't do it. We deceive ourselves. Y'all understand. The third the way that people get deceived and seduced is by not being accountable. Trying to keep my own counsel. Going to make my own decisions. Not being accountable. You know, God has called us to voluntary accountability. We're to be voluntarily accountable. Not only to one another, but to those that have... The Bible says that there are people that will answer for us, that will be called into account because of us, and we're to be voluntarily accountable to them. That's our pastors and leaders. Number four, this is one way people get real seduced, is by trying to be the exception. Anytime you try to be the exception, you read in the Word, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Yeah, but... This time, I really believe God's telling me to stay home. No, you are seduced if you're the exception. Say this with me. I am not the exception to the Word of God. Well, this time, it's okay. No, it's not okay. Hallelujah. We're not the exception. Boy, you can get in trouble by being the exception. I'm the exception to tithing. Because of my extenuating circumstances. Is that ever the case? No. I'm the exception to uh, pray without ceasing. Are you the exception? Because, Pastor, I'm trying to earn a living. No, you're not the exception. Number five, 
Here's one. And it's also 2 Timothy 2.15. I'm going to turn over there for this one. The last one I'm going to give you on how people get to see. 2 Timothy 2.15. Rita said, you know, this woman, you know, she wasn't going to believe anything else at that point. But I said, but Rita, you planted a seed. The Bible says Paul planted Apollos water and God gave the increase. Now some people, when they think God took their baby, they are mad as old Billy. They hate God. They shake their fist at God. They're mad. But some people get a kind of a little false comfort from my child was so wonderful that God wanted to take them. Uh, and so we just got to take the opportunities we have to speak the word. And sometimes you just got to let them believe what they want to believe, don't you? In 2 Timothy 2.15 again, study to show thyself approved. One of the ways people get deceived is they don't do that scripture right there. They don't study. They don't study the Word of God. You've got to study. All of us are called to study. Amen. You're not called to study as much as pastor studies. You're probably not called to study as much as I study, but you're called to study. You're not to buy everything that comes from this pulpit, hook, line, and sinker. The Bible says the Bereans, that they went to the Word of God to see if these things be so. Now, most things, your spirit's bearing witness, you know, but sometimes something new comes down the tube. You may have to say, well, now, I got to study. I got to see. And you don't, it, just because, boy, I tell you, I found one little thing the pastor's wrong about. And I, we don't throw it all out because there's one little thing, you know, but we pray. And we can even come to pastor and say, well, pastor, look, I see this. Well, he may show, yeah, but let me show you this. Or he may say, well, you know, you're right. Let me pray about that. Pastor's not going to can you for disagreeing with him. So we need to study the Word of God to show ourselves approved, a workman that needeth not be ashamed. If we don't study, we're going to be ashamed because we're going to get deceived. Recognizing deception, three things, real easy. Three ways to not get deceived. Number one, does this line up with the Word of God? Well, you may not know the Word of God enough, but you can come and say, okay, Pastor, does this line up with the Word of God? I would never make a decision to bolt and run on anything based on something I thought I heard, something I think God showed me in the Scriptures. You know, the devil transforms himself as an angel of light. I wouldn't make a decision based on an angel appearing to me. I need to prove it in the Word of God. I don't care how awesome the experience was. I don't care if I thought I was caught up into the third heaven. Hallelujah. i got to go back to the Word of God. Does this line up with the Word of God? And I can go to counsel if I don't know about that. Number two, does this line up with the character and heart of God? I'm talking about rightly dividing the truth. Does this line up with love? God's love. Is this bringing love in my church? Is this bringing blessing in my church? Is this helping people? Does this line up with the character of God? Or is this causing division? Is this causing people to be hurt? Does this even hurt the pastor? Listen, God's not going to hurt the pastor. He's not going to use you to bring hurtful things that will cause hurt to the pastor and the leadership of this church. There's no righteousness in that. And uh, number uh, three, and this is the only test that God gives us as Christians that we're really to use. And that is in Luke chapter 6, verse 43. This is it, and that goes back to uh, 
the character and heart of God, really. And we just got to say, what kind of fruit is this barren? What kind of fruit is this barren? Luke six forty three. For a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bringeth forth good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. Okay, we got to get down to fruit. Let's just take Halloween, for instance. What kind of fruit? Well, we've already talked about the fruit of fear, the fruit of death. Is there any little clue in the fact that they say, come by the hospital and we'll x-ray your candy for you <laughs> to see if it's got a razor blade in it? Does that give us any clue to the fruit? Think about it. You would have to have such a poverty mentality to go to the trouble to go get candy all over town Take it to the hospital. Have it x-rayed for your kids to eat. Isn't it so much simpler to just go to Walmart and buy a bag of candy for your kids? I mean, dear Lord. I mean, that is such a poverty mentality if you think about it. The poverty-thinking person will go to such great lengths to save a nickel. They will spend $29 on gas to save one nickel on candy. Because that's poverty. What am I going to get for nothing? So fruit, we can just take everything to the fruit meter. To Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Okay, is this love? Is there any love in Halloween? Now we're just picking on Halloween big, but I figure it's safe and I won't get in trouble for talking about it. Joy, is there joy in this? Just take it through the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, is there peace in this? think about toys you can just look at some of the toys and say this is not peace this is not peace on this this there's something about this it's not peace you can look at cartoons and say this isn't peace this is not ministering peace to my child it's making my child too aggressive even sometimes he my child keeps trying to jump off the top of the refrigerator because he watches some sort of a Superhero show, and he thinks he's got supernatural. I mean, you know, things like that have, have happened. You know, kids are having dreams sometimes. What's the fruit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Now, is this being long-suffering? Is this attitude that's going on in the church, is it being long-suffering? As the family of God, and we're a family, we're going to have to go through some things together. We're going to have to endure through some things. Y'all have to put up with me, I have to put up with you. If you're going to make a marriage work, did you know I put up with some things? He's put up with a lot of things. There's kind of a saying in our family. You know, in our family, my family, my side of the family, we have the in-laws and the outlaws. You know, the outlaws are ones that aren't blood nukem. And the outlaws say that they're going to be sainted when they get to heaven for living with nukems. So we look at fruit, long-suffering, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. Is this gentle? You know, gentleness, goodness, is this good? Is the bottom line good? Is the bottom line good? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And see, we can take those same things over on Christmas and those holidays, and we can say, well, you know, there are always abuses in everything, but bottom line, this seems like a good thing. Everybody seems pretty joyful. This is the happiest they've been all year to our family. And, you know, you've got to look at the ultimate fruit. Sometimes a drunk can look pretty joyful. But you've got to look at the fruit, you know, okay, what's this going to be like? Even gossip can be kind of fun. What's the ultimate fruit? And that will keep you from deception. 
I tell you, we can plead the blood of Jesus too. Lord, just guard me from deception. We ought to be using our faith. Guard me from deception. Lord, don't let me be deceived. Father, show me what I need to see and be open and willing to see it. Hallelujah. If girls, when they dated, was willing to see what God wanted to show them. But how many teenagers, it's like, they don't want nobody telling them anything. Uh-huh. Don't tell me nothing. Don't tell me, don't tell me this girl's not right. Don't tell me this boy's not right. We have a lot of heartache in the world, don't we? 1 John 3, 7. And this is one thing that will... You can write this down and look it up later. That will guard us from seduction and deception is that he who is righteous practices righteousness. If they're not practicing righteousness, something's wrong. Something's wrong, family. You know, sometimes people say they're saved. But are they practicing righteousness? A lot of people say, oh yeah, I'm born again. You know, we can't really question somebody's salvation. Really, only God knows. Hallelujah. I think a lot of times people don't even know if they're saved. But one thing is, is we can know that we don't need to be walking with them if they're not practicing righteousness. Hallelujah. Let's stand up together.